Yeah, I like enjoying... Uh, okay, cut that out. I like enjoying things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> Doesn't everybody? Well, Sean, it's been about four weeks since we last recorded podcast together. And last episode, we were talking about serving abroad as a missionary. And you were talking about some of the the triumphs and some of the struggles that you've had serving in Peru. And so I don't know what you can share about how things have been going since then. Anything has happened you want to share with the audience? <laughs> well, let's see. Since then, a bunch of my animals died. Let's see, I had chickens and turkeys and guinea pigs uh, our our uh, our sow our pig <laughs> oh dear she had uh 10 piglets she died and i'm not sure <laughs> i kind of lose track what all died and then a few days after a bunch of my animals died then uh, i was robbed when i was out at market uh, someone stole my wallet and I had actually gone to market to buy some some young bulls, so I had quite a lot of money on me, most of the, the cash that I had in the house. And so that all went away. And let's see, what else happened? Oh, I've been sick now for something like a week. I Probably you can tell it in my voice. Mm-hmm. And today I went and got a test done, and I have covid so <laughs> that's kind of how the last couple of weeks have gone for me. Uh, how about for you? <laughs> uh, well, it's it's going fairly well. I was I was teaching. Uh, I moved for about five and a half weeks to go and, and teach a class, a science class. We just got back a couple days ago, so I'm trying to get back in the swing of things here at home. It's really been been fun to get back right as the seasons are turning it's going from winter into spring however today april 1st it flurried for several hours okay so spring isn't quite here yet but there's daffodils and other flowers trees are budding tonight it's supposed to get down cold and tomorrow it's supposed to be cold as well but yeah (laughs) praise the lord i haven't had anything quite to the extent that you have (laughs) (laughs) I, if I remember correctly, you had uh, COVID yourself sometime mm-hmm. back, right? Yeah, it was the end of October, and thankfully it wasn't that bad. I felt bad for a day or two, and I had to take off work. Well, actually, I took off work for a couple of weeks because I was kind of quarantining at home, but I wasn't working mm. from home either. I was sitting in the recliner trying to read a book while I had a splitting headache and didn't feel like doing anything, but... That only lasted about two days, and I started feeling better. But it wasn't, let me see, about four or five days after I started having symptoms, I started losing my sense of smell and taste mm. until I completely I completely lost it. I remember I was chairing a biology meeting from home, so I was doing it remotely, and I had COVID, and I had a splitting headache that felt like somebody was pounding a nail into my skull every time I would cough, which when you have COVID, that's fairly often. (laughs) And so I was not having a very good day. After the meeting was over at about four o'clock, I collapsed into bed and slept for about an hour and woke up and went out and my wife had made, had made enchiladas. 
and I took a big sniff and could not smell a thing. <laughs> um, this isn't, <laughs> you know, people people talk about when it started going around that that one of the symptoms of COVID was loss of of smell and taste. Some people said, "Oh, well, yeah, that's that's happened to me." I mean, it's no worse than a cold. You get a cold, you can't smell. Right? No, <laughs> that is not the same thing. I mean, I couldn't smell or taste a thing. It was it was like I just stepped outside and sniffed just plain air, not directly over top of a, a bowl of delicious enchiladas. Yeah. I said, wow, this is really strange. I'd heard about it, and I guess the, it was the scientist in me was like, oh, this 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 will be interesting yeah. just to see <laughs> see how this goes. And so I, I took a bunch of hot sauce and dumped it on my enchiladas. I still couldn't taste the enchiladas, but my mouth got really warm. <laughs> I see. So, the uh, sensation was still there, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is really weird. Um, yesterday, yesterday afternoon, I noticed that I could not taste my coffee, and that's when mm. I knew that there was an emergency. <laughs> but I went and tasted a bunch of different stuff, and it seemed like all savory things were either dulled or else I couldn't taste them. Mm-hmm. But then sweet stuff I could taste fine. So I thought, well, maybe it's not COVID. Maybe I just have bad allergies. But by this afternoon, I cannot taste or smell anything. And oh, man. <laughs> it was very weird this evening. Um, my sister, she's here helping helping us, and uh, she made supper tonight. She made poor man's steak and rosemary, rosemary something potatoes, and, like, she went all out. <laughs> and I was sitting in the kitchen while she was making it, and uh, my wife was taking a nap. Anyhow, she when she got up from her nap, she came in and she was like, "Oh, it smells so good!" And I, <laughs> I jerked my head up. I was astonished. I, I could not smell anything. So I went rushing over to the stove and was like sticking my nose into everything, which probably wasn't super, super sanitary. But it's very weird. I told, I told my wife and sister that when I was eating the poor man's steak tonight. It's kind of the sensation you have when you eat something really super hot Mm -hmm. and you can't taste it at first, but it feels like the flavor is going to come as soon as it cools down. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like a little bit for me, but it just doesn't come. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't take too long for for your senses to come back. I know there's some people that five, six months later, they still can't hardly taste or smell. So it's it's really strange. <laughs> yeah, sorry. If I have to be without coffee for, for the flavor of coffee for five to six months, I think I'm going to be pretty sad. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, like, take my money. Just don't take my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you said that the first hint that you had was the coffee didn't taste right. Yeah. And that was the exact same thing for me Thursday morning. I drank my coffee, and it tasted a little bit funny, and I wasn't sure if... Maybe LaShonda didn't put in enough coffee grounds or the filter had like fallen in from the side and it hadn't brewed very well or something. I thought maybe that was what it was. But then Friday morning, I got up and drank coffee like I normally do. And it was like drinking hot water. (laughs) Uh, Sad. Then after I could taste, it just didn't taste very good. And yeah, that lasted for a couple of weeks. And then finally it started tasting good again. So Flavor is one of those things that I think I, I've i taken for granted a lot of my life, but it's a small thing, I guess, in a way, but it really matters a lot and brings a lot of 
a lot of, I don't know, vibrancy or fulfillment to life. I really enjoy good tasting, good tasting coffee, good tasting food, whatever. Yeah, I think I've, I think I heard somewhere that there was somebody who had some sort of infection or disease and they lost their sense of taste permanently. Mm-hmm. And they, they really had a hard time forcing themselves to eat food to, you know, sustain their body because they simply weren't getting any enjoyment out of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, just off the top of your head, you would think, oh, well, I mean, even if I can't taste, well, I'll still eat something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was harder for me to to really summon up any interest in food when you can't taste it. I think I remember really liking texture. Like I liked eating potato chips and pudding and things that had like these either really smooth and creamy or really crispy textures. So at least I was sensing something. And then, of course, I was dumping hot sauce on things <laughs> so I could at least have my have my mouth on fire, if nothing else. Right. I do know that uh, one really strange thing about space flight is that when you're up in space for a sustained amount of time, there's something really strange that goes on with your taste buds, and your senses are really dulled. And so on the International Space Station, one of the most coveted supplies that are sent up is hot sauce. Supposedly, the astronauts just dump hot sauce on everything uh. because it, it gives them more flavor than they would have otherwise. I did not know that. Yeah, I've think it might have something to do with the way in in um in microgravity that your your fluids in your body kind of re- redistribute i'm not totally sure what all the science is behind it what is your relationship to food normally <laughs> when when you can taste things fine <laughs> are you are you a food junkie or is what is the phrase live to eat or eat to live yeah I'm definitely somewhat of a live to eat type person. <laughs> I mean, that sound makes me sound like a very like hedonistic. <laughs> you know, I, I just <laughs> uh, the only reason I you know get out of bed in the morning so I can eat. That's not that's not how it is. <laughs> but um, I definitely, I mean, I look forward to meals probably about as much as a lot of other things in life. It's just yeah, it's just a, a sense of. Of enjoyment. I mean, I think some of it is getting together with friends and family to eat. But even if it's just around our our supper table, I really enjoy just a good meal. Talking with Jimmy, uh, my youngest son Jeremy is not old enough to really talk. And then, of course, talking with my wife Lashonda. I know that my mom has always accused me of being a foodie and being somewhat persnickety about my food. I remember one time she made kind of a like a strawberry cheesecake dessert. Uh, so it has strawberries on top with with the strawberry jello and then underneath that is a layer of of whipped cream and cream cheese and maybe sugar, I'm not sure, probably some sugar. And then underneath that is a layer of shortbread. So she makes this dessert and it's something that I always look forward to every every spring or early summer. Mm-hmm. I took one bite and I said, "What did you do to this thing?" Uh. <laughs> And she just played totally dumb. Like, what do you mean? You know, what what did I do? I just made it like I normally did. I said, you did something different. <laughs> anyway, turns out that she had some strawberry-flavored Cool Whip in the fridge that she needed to use up. And so she mixed in that with the regular Cool Whip. And so there was some strawberry flavor in the layer that normally was just Cool Whip and and cream cheese. And I picked it up immediately. Heresy. <laughs> anyway, yeah. She, anyway, yeah. And so she she just thought I was being terribly picky. It tasted fine, but it didn't taste like it normally did. And so I could pick it up right away. 
which I think there are a certain percentage of people, and I'm not sure what it is, maybe uh, 10 to 20% of people that are so-called super tasters okay. that are genetically genetically predisposed to being able to taste better than everybody else. Hmm. I don't know if I'm a super taster. I think I've read before about super tasters and some of the characteristics, and I don't n- quite fit the the bill, but I could be. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. I know when you were single that you did your own cooking. Do you still get into the kitchen some now that you're a married man or not so much? Definitely not nearly as much as I used to. I mean, I probably don't help cook a meal more than, well, I help fairly often, like on Saturday mornings with breakfast and so forth. But usually I don't help with breakfast because I leave before, pretty early before everybody's really up Mm -hmm. and breakfast is being served. And then I get home from work and LaShonda's already has the, has the meal on the stove or whatever. And so, yeah, I really don't do it as much as I used to, but on Saturdays and sometimes Sunday for lunch, I'll, so I don't know, I maybe, maybe help cook a meal one time a week, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I enjoy cooking in my family growing up. There were five boys in a row and we all had to learn house, household skills, uh, keeping up with the kitchen, whatever. And so I learned from a young age to enjoy cooking and, and baking Although I'm not super skilled at baking, I I do in, enjoy getting a cake or getting into cookies, but I more probably enjoy uh, following a, a recipe for something savory. Mm-hmm. I don't help with just our regular meals terribly much, but I would say I cook something most every week um, just because it's something, well, I, I just really enjoy it. And sometimes when I'm feeling... Feeling a bit stressed out, I'll ask my wife if I can, if I can cook this evening. Just to, it's a way for me to just let stuff go and focus on the food and mm-hmm. until I'm done with the meal, even if it doesn't turn out super well, I still feel a lot better after I've spent some time in the kitchen. I enjoy grilling. I guess that's kind of a manly, manly type of cooking. That's something I enjoy. Just this past summer, uh smoked a pork butt for the first time to make pulled pork, which it turned out fairly decent. I'm similar to you in that I grew up with brothers. I had two brothers that didn't have any sisters. So we, we were kind of pressed into service in the kitchen uh, occasionally to help out mom, mm-hmm. whether it was mashing the potatoes for for Sunday lunch or things like that. In fact, it kind of became a little bit of a tradition that I would almost always be the person that would mash the potatoes because well, I enjoyed it and I felt like I did a, a better job than the others. So. <laughs> and so, yeah, cooking has always been been part of our family. My mom enjoyed to cook. I mean, she, she called me a foodie, but in some ways, I think I probably got my foodiness from her. Mm-hmm. She enjoyed getting cooking magazines and cookbooks, and she would just sit down in the evening and just go through them and marking recipes she would like to try out. Uh, she has probably one of the biggest shelves of cookbooks I think I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, wow. So I guess I get it honest from her. You were talking about some of the cooking you've been doing there in Peru. Obviously, in the last episode, we talked about different things in the culture down there. So what are some of the some of the things you've kind of had to adjust to down in Peru from what you're used to here in the States? 
Hmm, that's a good question. I think the biggest adjustment was probably that in the states there's lots of prepackaged things that we don't even th- maybe think about as prepackaged. So, okay, for example, I was looking at a recipe the other evening. I can't even think what the recipe was, but some of the ingredients were like a half a uh, pack of cream cheese and let's see what else was there some some part of a bowl of cool whip and then this much of a jar of peanut butter and that sort of thing mm-hmm. those sorts of what we consider ingredients in the states are not readily available here they're not prepackaged so if we want cream cheese we have to make our own cream cheese and if we want cool whip we have to uh, whip cream and peanut butter we can we can get peanut butter in cool school but it's really expensive and so we've learned how to make our own peanut butter by roasting peanuts and grinding them up and then yeah making the butter so that's probably been the biggest adjustment just what we would consider regular stuff like cheese for example like i just love <laughs> cheddar cheese and you can't get cheddar cheese here we found one connection where there's a guy that makes cheddar cheese in Colombia that we can order cheese uh, into Peru but by and large people don't make cheddar cheese here they just eat the mm, kind of the farm fresh mm-hmm. white cheese yeah i mean there again the the whole thing of culture i mean our our american culture we're very big on our cheeses whether it's of course you know american cheese which some people would argue is not cheese. <laughs> right. <laughs> then cheddar, I mean, whether it's on top of a burger or a, a toasted cheese sandwich or on top of baked macaroni, I mean, we just put it on everything. I know. I, I guess down there, they just, it's not part of their cuisine, and so it's not that big of a deal. So what are some, I think I remember you mentioning intestine soup Yeah. in the last episode. What are some other kind of indigenous foods down in Peru? Well, here where we live, we're in the Andes Mountains, and so they have a a different sort of cuisine than they will eat down on the coast or in the jungle. Because of the high elevation here in the Andes, digestion and metabolism are very different, and so you need to eat a lot more food. You need to take in a lot more calories in order to keep meat on your bones and stay, stay energized. So they eat tremendous portions, and they always have <laughs> they always have a first plate and a second plate, and the first one is always soup of some kind. So that every meal, every day, they have some sort of soup, and then their second portion or whatever will be, you know, rice or um, yeah, usually rice or potatoes. Those are the two staples. And then they'll have some meat to go along with it or else vegetables um, for the for the main course, I guess. Yeah. They do not eat beans here because beans are difficult to digest at this elevation. Hmm. So they have more softer foods, I suppose. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to ask. When you think Latin America, you always think rice and beans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really wonder why are harder to digest. That's That's interesting. I would think, I mean, just off the top of my head, there's less oxygen at a higher altitude. And so it seems like you wouldn't be able to 
metabolize as many calories because you don't have as much oxygen. But mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not a uh, a food scientist or I don't know what you would want to call it metabolism scientist. And so I haven't looked into it terribly much, but um, I do know that it is harder to break down beans than it would be to break down rice, uh, particularly if they're not cooked um, super soft. And they have a a saying around here that if you eat beans for supper, that you could wake up dead. So they avoid them pretty much. Once it's afternoon, evening, they Hmm. generally will not eat beans. I'm not surprised there's potatoes there. I mean, aren't isn't Peru kind of the birthplace of potatoes? Yeah, that's right. They have over 2,000 uh, types of potatoes, and hmm. each of those distinct varieties has its own name. And a lot of people know the different names, and, and they vary tremendously in size, texture, color. I mean, it just about anything you can imagine, sweet, savory, gritty, smooth, like they have it all. Yeah, well, I mean, that's similar to to here in the States. You have potatoes that are best for mashing or roasting and others that are best for baking and Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So there's a little bit of difference in whether it's starch content or that sort of thing. Uh, I do know that that Peru has a decent amount of coffee. How much coffee are you able to get there? Yeah, before I came to Peru, I knew that, well, I had... I had purchased Peruvian coffee in the States, so I knew that they grew it here. But I do not know why. I have not yet figured out, but people here in the Andes do not drink coffee by and large. And I'm not sure if it's because of a, a storage thing, so they don't they don't store a lot of of foods and so you would have to have your green coffee beans and you'd have to dry them, then you'd have to roast them and then you need to use to keep them until you can grind them and, and make them. And then also there's the thing of, of not having the equipment, although you know you can make coffee in, in just in a pot too. But the only coffee that they drink here is instant coffee, which I think is just <laughs> one of the <laughs> sadder things I've seen that you know you have <laughs> not terribly far away from here fresh coffee growing and they're buying this packaged stuff and, and mixing it up. No, they don't drink it very often. If we buy it here in our local town, it is tremendously more expensive than buying it in the states. Okay. But if if we go to Cusco or or um if we get it from Lima, then it's often a good bit less expensive um, because it's coming from yeah, straight from where it's grown. You you can get it if you find it in the right place, but where we are in the Andes, no, it's kind of difficult to get to. I know I've heard there's other countries that are very big into coffee exporting that, yeah, the people just drink instant or pretty low quality coffee. And I guess part of it is they probably just can't afford it. You know, most of it is sent out of the country mm-hmm. as, as a really valuable export. And so they just can't, they just can't afford it. That's a good point. I have heard that from a friend of mine from Colombia that all the good coffee from Colombia gets sent to the States or wherever, and the people there either drink instant or just have really rubbish coffee, which I think is kind of tragic. Yeah, it is too bad. Coffee is definitely one of my favorite food things. Just just this week, we uh, we just got back from, from teaching and moving in and hadn't had time to roast any coffee 
we were out of regular coffee, and all we had was a little bit of decaf that I'd roasted six weeks ago. <laughs> and I said, oh, let's go ahead and just make that. So we put it in the coffee pot and got up in the morning, had my cup of, of decaf coffee, and went to work and just started feeling terrible. Got a headache, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm drinking plenty of water, I think, so I'm not sure what the deal is. Eventually, I decided, you know what? I haven't had any caffeine today. <laughs> so so I guess I must be somewhat dependent on my caffeine intake. Yeah. Uh, different people have picked on me about being addicted to coffee. And uh, I said that I'm addicted to food, too. And I'm not really ashamed of either of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I really think that, that with coffee, it's more of a, it's, it's almost more of the, of the ritual part of it. You know, I get up in the morning and hopefully the, the auto brew feature has worked and I've got a fresh pot of coffee there and I pour myself a cup and go over and set my recliner and put up the put up the foot rest and get out my Bible and read my Bible while sipping coffee. And it's just kind of a, a ritual that just kind of helps to, I don't know, just get my day started mm-hmm. the same way every morning that I, I find very, very comforting. Yeah, I I agree. I feel coffee just makes me happy. Um, (laughs) and it can be, it can be different, different sorts of coffee. And if the best I can get is, um, an instant coffee at a a friend's house, well, I can still enjoy, enjoy a nice hot cup in my hands. And it's just a cozy feeling, but I, I, I do like finding, I do like finding really good flavors of coffee. Yeah. Back to the whole where it's more of a, it's more the it's the ritual for me. There's been a couple times that I've actually completely forgot to drink coffee and it wasn't really that big of a deal until maybe I got a headache later. I went on a backpacking trip one time and it wasn't until day two that I got a headache and I realized, oh no, mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot my coffee, which thankfully I had ibuprofen along for aches and pains. And so I just took some of that and was fine. People often say, well, you know, you're addicted to coffee and I tell them I'm not addicted, I'm dependent. <laughs> there is, uh, there's a technical difference. Mm-hmm. The difference is if you are addicted, there's a physical or a psychological uh, craving. Okay. Whereas with, if you're dependent, your body just kind of gets used to it. And so if it doesn't have it, it doesn't work 100% right. So if you don't have your caffeine, um, I guess the blood vessels in your brain dilate. Mm-hmm. And it causes a headache. So it's not the same thing. It's, it's kind of like when I went on that backpacking trip. I was not craving coffee. I completely forgot that I'd even, I completely forgot to drink coffee. It wasn't until my body told me, hey, there's this thing that I normally have. Um, and I'm not super happy <laughs> yeah. without it. Anyway, it, it, it's a small difference, but it's not the same as being addicted. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm addicted or not. I I do... I do have strong feelings for coffee. If I don't have coffee, I feel really <laughs> sad and I miss it like one of my one of my dear friends, but I'm not sure if I've gone over the edge of dependency into addiction or not, but <laughs> I really enjoy coffee. <laughs> James, have you have you ever eaten a guinea pig? I have not. I've heard I've heard that they're a thing in Peru and I've even seen pictures on your blog of of are they roasted guinea pigs or boiled guinea pigs? I don't know how you prepare them, but <laughs> they're they're roasted, kind of rotisserie. Generally, is how they're made. 
I think there are more than one way to make them. But yeah, guinea pigs are really, well, they're just everywhere here. And they use them mostly for special meals. So birthdays, anniversaries, um, any any sort of special event that they want to mark, uh, they'll eat guinea pig for that. So it's not a it's not an everyday meal, but it is something that they have fairly frequently. Now, are guinea pigs rodents, or are they a completely different type of animal? No, they're rodents. Okay, so they would be like um, big, big hamsters, <laughs> <laughs> or big, big rats. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess rats would be. Ugh, yeah, that doesn't sound very appetizing. <laughs> now, I have I have eaten a squirrel when I was in my you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, uh, there's nothing more fun than going out in the woods with a, with a 22 and shooting something. And so I would go squirrel hunting. And my dad told me, if you shoot a squirrel, you need to eat it. You're not going to just let it lay there. And so I would bring a number of squirrels home and I'd have to laboriously skin them and then take them in. And my mom would, would fix them up and she would make stew. Sometimes she would fry them. And it was, it was very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, one thing you don't think about until you eat something different, but many of us are used to eating chicken. So you eat like a drumstick or a thigh or breast meat or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And you very much know like how to kind of take it apart. Right. Like there's this little bone here and you can just know that you can take it like a, like with, with a drumstick, you can take like three big bites and pretty much clean it off the bone and then gnaw off a little bit on the ends and but when you're dealing with squirrels, like they just have bones in the wrong places and you're not quite sure how to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. I never ate enough to really get to really get good at uh, stripping the meat off of off of squirrel bones. But <laughs> yeah, I never went hunting as a boy, but I did taste the squirrel. My papa would hunt and he made some for us once. But squirrel would be a good bit gamier than guinea pig. They raise guinea pig on um mostly on alfalfa, and so it's uh, not so much different maybe from from beef or something as far as what goes into it. But it is, if you if you don't eat a young one, it can be, the meat can be tougher. Mm-hmm. Of course, here in the States, we have groundhogs or woodchucks, depending on what part of the States you come from. You call them different things, and Apparently, they're really good eating. I've never had one. I think they're a rodent as well. But, I mean, they, they eat alfalfa and clover and grass. I mean, mm-hmm. seems mm-hmm. like in some ways they eat better food than we sometimes feed pigs. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> we eat pigs, but we don't, we don't eat groundhogs. So yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting. Different, different cultures eat different things. Peru is known around the world for, for having guinea pig as one of its dishes. And another really famous dish from Peru is ceviche, which is raw fish. And they they make it, how would you say? They soak it in a lemon, a lemon juice bath, like fresh lemon juice. And that the acid from the lemon juice is what is the, it's the only thing that cooks the fish meat. And so, it's not raw like you might like you might think. It does change somewhat, but it's definitely not cooked. So I've had that a few times. I like it pretty well. The lemon isn't isn't super strong. It changes, you know, when it when it interacts with the fish. And then they serve it on a bed of 
onions and uh, they make a salad around it of you know lettuce, tomato, whatever, and and it's not too bad. But yeah, Peru is known world worldwide for its ceviche and guinea pig dishes. Yeah, I've I've seen those pictures of guinea pig and heard about that they eat those. And I don't know, I would kind of like to maybe eat one someday. So maybe if I cross the big water and and come down there, maybe I should <laughs> should try guinea pig. Yep. I've I'm trying to think if I've had ceviche. I think I've had something similar to that before. And yeah, the um, do do a little bit of a science lesson here. So when you cook meat, you know how meat oftentimes it's kind of softer when it's uncooked and you cook it and it becomes, well, if you cook it long enough, it becomes soft again, but mm-hmm. it, it changes the texture and that, like you can very easily tell when you bite into chicken if it's cooked the whole way through or not. Oh, right. And the reason is, is because the addition of heat basically kind of denatures the proteins it means that it changes the structure of the proteins Mm -hmm. to where they don't work like they normally do and the same thing happens when you cook an egg that's why it goes from clear to white the heat kind of makes the the proteins kind of unfurl and do things and i think that's what the acid does with the fish is it denatures the proteins just like heat does Mm -hmm. when you cook fish well next time i take a bite of cooked meat, I will know that it is denatured, and that will probably improve my my eating experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it probably will. <laughs> so I was teaching a uh, chemistry class a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about chemical reactions in food and about the energy in chemical bonds. And I said something, and one of my students apparently thought it was humorous. He wrote it down and put it on his blog. And my quote was, Food is just a big chemical battery that tastes good. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Well, less people think that you have too robotic of a relationship with food. <laughs> I remember the trip we took to Maine. Was that in 2019 or was that in 2018 now? I forget. That was 2018. Uh, you and your wife, me and my wife, went up north, traveled up up through Maine, and... Spent a number of days. I guess it was, was it more than a week? It was about a week. And so we we uh, soon realized as we were traveling that uh, we <laughs> we each had our our roles, I suppose. And I, I quickly figured out that James needed to be the guy who picked what we were going to have for our next meal. Because it was pretty much while we were sitting at the table eating our meal that James would say, Oh, what I would really like for supper tonight would be and he'd start thinking about the next the next <laughs> dish and we weren't even done eating <laughs> yeah uh yeah you always picked you always picked really excellent places they weren't always um no they weren't expensive but they always ended up being good and if it would have been up to me we would have had taco bell every every evening <laughs> I like Taco Bell as much and maybe more than the next person, but uh, yeah, when you're in Maine, you don't eat Taco Bell. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely, I think I think LaShonda sometimes gets, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, maybe amused, um, I'm not sure. Well, for instance, so during during her two pregnancies, of course, expectant ladies are supposed to be having all these cravings, like dill pickles and ice cream and all that. And mm-hmm. and normally I have way more cravings than she does. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I want pizza. Or, oh, man, I, I really want a cheeseburger. Or, 
And yeah, that that's kind of what it was when I'm traveling is I enjoy traveling, but to me, because I love food, probably half of the fun of traveling is is not just eating the food, but looking forward to eating the food. Sometimes it seems like the anticipation yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes yeah. is even more enjoyable than the reality. Yeah, we'd be going down the road, and if I wasn't driving, and even sometimes if I was driving, I would be like... <laughs> I would be uh, like looking up the next place to go eat. Uh, listen, listen to this review website. They say this about this sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yep, pretty much, pretty much. Do you have a favorite dish, or do you just have like bunches of favorite dishes, and it it's all depends on your mood or how hungry you are? Yeah, this is like trying to ask me to pick my favorite child. <laughs> no, not quite. Um, when I was younger, I used to really like steak and these fancy things. But now that I've gotten older, I really just enjoy just a good slice of pizza or a good cheeseburger. Mm. Sure, I would probably get tired of pizza if I eat it every day for a week. But yeah, I could probably eat pizza every single week and be perfectly happy. I love pizza too. And it was, I don't know, it might be one of my favorite dishes. One one year for my birthday, my wife bought me a recipe book that was only pizza recipes and I don't know does it have a hundred different recipes hmm. you know sweet savory vegetable meat whatever and so you could make your whole life revolve around pizza if you wanted to based off that yeah. cookbook. this has been years ago but I read about this guy who was who decided he was gonna eat nothing but pizza for a month and he was going to lose weight. Oh, my. And, yeah, he ate nothing but pizza for a month and lost weight. He was just very careful about what he ate, and he exercised and all that. And I think did even get a physical before and after. And and after, he was just in good of, good of health as he was before. So I guess pizza, you've got your your starch, your, your bread, and you've got your sauce and your vegetables and your meat and your dairy. I mean, it's all... It's it's a round meal. It's a balanced diet. All you need is a cup of coffee and you're good to go. Yeah, pretty much. Do you enjoy uh, when other people make food for you more than you enjoy the food that you make for yourself? I don't know. I enjoy both. There's something I enjoy about the creative part of, of cooking, producing something. But I also enjoy going to somebody else's house or you know going out to eat. I try not to do it too much, but I do enjoy just going and enjoying the food and not having to deal with either the the prep work before you cook it or the cleanup afterward. Eating at someone else's house can be a little bit risky, particularly if they make your favorite dish and then they do something weird to it. Like, for example, I really, really love um, broccoli, cauliflower, bacon salad. I'm not sure if there's a better name for it. Yeah, I know what you mean. But... I despise if it if there's fruit added to it or like yeah even just raisins and periodically or in the past I've been at someone's place and saw this beautiful dish of of broccoli cauliflower bacon salad and then dig into it and find some some raisins hidden at the bottom or some other heinous fruit <laughs> Uh, coincidentally, that is part of what I had for supper this evening. Oh. Yeah, I had broccoli broccoli salad with raisins. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> broccoli salad with raisins, and then we went really high class and had hot dogs. 
with baked macaroni. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, we needed to use up some hot dogs that were in the freezer, and we had baked macaroni left over from the fellowship meal last evening. So we're trying to be thrifty and not waste food. Yeah, I also don't particularly like, yeah, when you go to somebody else's house and they mess something up, like occasionally I'll go to somebody's house and they ask me if I want coffee and I say, well, of course I want coffee. I mean, <laughs> am I alive? Yeah, I mean, like, oh, look, look who you're talking to here. And they give me a cup of coffee and I take a sniff and it's flavored. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. I'm reminded of, of um, in Revelations where it's talking about the Laodiceans. <laughs> That's pretty much what I do when I take a sip of flavored coffee. <laughs> you just spew it out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously I'm not I'm not rude and so I do drink it, but mm. it's it's not my favorite. Yeah. I appreciate the uh, uh the sentiment even though it's not my favorite. I I like uh freshly roasted coffee unadulterated, but I also like flavored coffees. <laughs> and so if you uh, if you get any, you can send the swill our way, and I will I will greatly appreciate it. <laughs> I'll gladly do that, and I'll probably like double bag it so I so my nostrils don't have to be assaulted by the odors. <laughs> exactly. This may seem like a strange uh, question, but do you use lots of condiments or sauces? You mentioned hot sauce, but like, do you add? Do you like to add stuff to your meal, or are you kind of, um, you know, this is your your fancy hot dog macaroni uh, and cheese, and you're just going to eat it the way <laughs> it is, or do you like to embellish as you go? It really depends on what it is. With my hot dog, I had mayonnaise and Dijon mustard, oh. which sounds a little bit strange. My my father, I guess maybe it's because of his German descent, but he, he believes that Putting ketchup or anything tomato-related on a sausage is sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he drilled that into his sons. And so I'll still occasionally put a little bit of ketchup on my hot dogs, but usually I just put mustard and sometimes mayonnaise, which I learned about mayonnaise on hot dogs a number of years ago, and I do it every time I can. I'm not sure. Uh, it seems strange to some people, but I really like it. Yeah, it's kind of making my mouth turn a little bit to think of putting mayonnaise <laughs> on a hot dog, but you do you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, don't, don't knock it till you try it. Okay. Also, I really like sauteed onions or like, like caramelized onions on pretty much anything. I mean, I normally don't put caramelized onions on ice cream, right? but I put them on burgers and hot dogs and any sort of grilled thing. Pretty much I'll put put caramelized onions on. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things that I do have that I do enjoy more unadulterated. So when it comes to steaks, I enjoy a steak that is well done. By well done, I mean done well, not the the cooking amount. Um, that is not good. If you want to ruin a steak, that's a good way to do it. <laughs> okay. To cook all the moisture out of it. <laughs> but I like a steak that is, that is seared good and is, a, is just a nice amount of, of rareness there. And then just a, a fairly basic rub on the outside with no steak sauce or anything like that. So just a modest amount of carcinogens along with uh, raw meat, and you're good to go. Yes, that's that's what it says on the recipe card. Carcinogens and raw meat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like or have liked ketchup in the past, and, and I guess 
I <laughs> I have dishonored my German heritage many times and have and have used ketchup on hot dogs, sausages, whatever. But I'm getting away from it now because here in in Peru, the ketchup that we've been able to find is super sweet. Like I mean, very very sweet, at least to my my palate. And I do not enjoy sweet ketchup on on a hot dog. I don't even particularly enjoy sweet relish like on a on a hot dog sandwich. I prefer more of a more of a savory flavor. So my hot dogs and sausages with with mustard, or else I maybe make a sauce with a ketchup mustard mayo sort of sort of deal. They also have here ahi, which is I think that that's the name of the plant that it comes from which is a bit spicy and I'm not sure how to describe the flavor to you because it's just its own flavor but it it does have a bite to it. I like to use that on on my sandwiches too. So you said hot dog sandwich. So I guess the question is is a hot dog a sandwich? Okay, what constitutes a sandwich? I think you need two pieces of bread and stuff between it. And so <laughs> yeah. that's what I that's how I make my hot dog sandwiches, so. Okay, I see. I guess a hot dog bun is usually one piece of bread. So, anyway, is that? Well, yeah, yeah, hot dog bun is one piece of bread that's connected at the bottom, but it's like split down the top. So you kind of put the, the hot dog down in the split. Oh. So uh, if your strict definition of a sandwich is two pieces of bread, then technically uh, a hot dog in a hot dog bun is not a sandwich unless you tear your bun in half, and then it's a sandwich. Okay. Well, here we can't get hot dog buns, so we just have to use the bread that we make our own selves, and it's two different pieces. So we're yeah. we are good to go on hot dog sandwiches. <laughs> All right, yeah. I'm sure that's probably something that people will be debating about for centuries. <laughs> oh, will we still be eating hot dogs centuries from now? That's kind of, I don't know, that's maybe a sad... A sad summary of the human race. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm guessing though humans will probably be eating some sort of sausages. I don't know if they'll still be made out of animals, but probably some sort of sausage-shaped uh. <laughs> thing. I know that the latest thing now is these meat substitutes. Just the other day, we were at the local Aldi. They had some of the impossible burgers. Okay. I don't, I mean, I'm sure they're not going to be nearly as good as ground beef, but something about me is just kind of curious. Like, are these things actually any good or not? So I don't know. Probably this summer I'll get a package of those and try them out so I can decide whether they're good or not. And where did you say they were, they were selling them? At the local Aldi. Okay. For those of you not from Virginia, that word has an L in it. It's Aldi. Aldi. Aldi, but people in Virginia, <laughs> people in Virginia do not pronounce their L's. Well, well, some of them don't. <laughs> yes, I was I was teaching in Pennsylvania, and I had a number of people mention my Southern accent, and was I mean I I knew that I was from Virginia and from uh, from old order Mennonite background who tends to have more of an accent, but I'd kind of forgotten about it until I until I went up there, and they said, oh, yeah, you definitely do. So I wasn't sure what to do with that, but then I decided that, well, I've I've heard before that out of all the accents in America, that that the southern accent tends to be rated as the best sounding, maybe. Oh, really? Versus like a Boston or New York 
accent. <laughs> okay. Of course, I probably butchered both of those. Yeah, we'll assume you did. And then also, normally people with Southern accents tend to be perceived as having lower intelligence. And so I figure I'll just look at it like, you know, I can I can kind of lull them into a false sense of complacency. And then you go, bam, chemistry, smartness. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. It's like, ooh, this... Did you know that is denaturing the proteins? Like, wow, I didn't know Southern people could talk about such things. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think anyone from Pennsylvania can speak too loudly about accents. Since we had this long conversation about food, we can't close without talking about dessert. Isn't that how you how you end up? So uh, paint us a picture. What is a, a magical escape into into dessert land? Well, it has to have coffee. True. I mean, you have to have coffee with it. There's, I mean, that's just a, a prerequisite. Mm-hmm. And my favorite dessert, it's, I mean, I, I love desserts. <laughs> and my scale can, can tell that tale as well. But probably my favorite dessert, it's the one that I oftentimes will get LaShonda to make for my birthday, is German tort. It's a dessert that my grandmother Gehring learned about from a German lady who lived nearby. They lived in Bridgewater, a local town here. She, she learned the recipe from this German lady, and my grandfather knew German and was teaching German at the local college. And so they made this German tort and just really liked it. And it kind of became somewhat of a, a family tradition to make this German tort. And then my mom, she uh, made some German torts for my dad, and I kind of learned to, to like them whenever she would make them. And then now... My wife is making German torts, and so it's not a very flavorful cake. It just has kind of a, some of you might know what like a hot milk cake is like. It's, it's kind of like that as the base cake. And then in between the layers, there is a mixture of a type of pudding and butter. You kind of beat those together into kind of this fairly thick mixture and use that as your icing. And so it's not nearly as sweet as normal mm-hmm. icing. And then you also, in between the layers, you put, I believe it's a mixture of orange marmalade and Hmm. maybe something else. And so you have that sweetness, the creaminess, and then a little hint of acidity and sourness from the orange marmalade. And then on the outside, you have toasted coconut. Oh, dear. Sorry, not toasted coconut. (laughs) Uh, Toasted oatmeal. Oh, okay. That's better. Yeah, you have toasted oatmeal. That has been, and I don't even know what what all goes into the oatmeal. It's not just toasted oatmeal. I think you mix something in with it and you toast it and put that on the outside. Mm. And that is just, that is so good. That is by far my favorite cake. Hmm. I only have LaShonda make it about once or maybe twice a year because I don't want to wear it out. I want it to always be a, a special occasion whenever we roll out the German tort. Nice. I don't know that I've ever... I don't know that I ever had it, that, unless maybe I had it at your house and I don't remember. But um, is the cake, like, the cake is flavored, um, is it vanilla or is it, what what's sort of? Yeah, just like a vanilla cake, it doesn't really have a lot of flavor. Just a, just a white cake, basically. Yeah. Huh. I'd like to try that sometime. I would not like to have it covered in coconut, though, that I, uh, the the texture of, of dried shaved coconut just uh it's like scratching a chalkboard <laughs> with your fingernails it's yeah no thank you i am not much of a of a dessert person um 
my wife loves desserts and she loves to bake and she does an incredible job of it and makes beautiful and and rich things but I, I just kind of have to be in the mood in order to really enjoy a dessert and usually usually when I want dessert it's something super rich like a death by chocolate cake or or um, double fudge brownies or something like that and then I don't eat dessert for several months <laughs> <laughs> I, I do enjoy a good dessert once in a while the James we should uh, think about recommendations here at the close but maybe one of the things you should you should give us is that recipe for the German tort cake unless it's a family a family heirloom secret that we can't have yeah I will see if I can get it past the authorities and get it to re be released uh, it should be in the show notes so where where else would you go to to get good recipes or to send people to find good food uh, one thing that I stumbled across probably five or six years ago was a magazine it's called Cook's Country it is, it's relatively expensive. I think it's 20 or $25 per year, and you only get six issues, mm -hmm. but there are zero ads. It's packed to the brim with recipes that are, for the most part, pretty simple with not a lot of ingredients, although some do require kind of different ingredients, but there's some that are fairly basic, just different different tweaks to normal recipes. One of the things that they do that I really like I guess it kind of tickles my scientist fancies, mm -hmm. is they oftentimes will take a regular recipe like fried chicken, and they will literally make 100 batches of fried chicken, trying different, different types of breading, different types of marinating, brining, different types of frying at different temperatures, using different oils. Uh, those are just some examples of what they'll do. And then at the end, they'll come out with kind of the definitive, this is the best fried chicken recipe. Mm -hmm. And pretty much every time I've tried one of their recipes, it's been incredible. Yeah, Cook's Country, I think you can, if you want to subscribe, you can go to a lot of local newsstands. We'll, we'll carry it at uh, Barnes & Noble or a place like that. But you can also go to cookscountry.com and subscribe there if you're interested. Yeah, I think, I think you all gave my wife a subscription to Cook's Country a couple years ago. We really enjoyed it. Besides having excellent recipes, it has beautiful photography. And, mm -hmm. yeah, the dishes just look amazing, too. So I, w I think that's a great recommendation. We don't have Cook's Country here, but we do. I do have access to uh, the Internet. And one of my favorite places to go that I've been going to pretty frequently over the last two years is allrecipes.com. If I'm looking for a particular recipe, a particular, oh, say I want to brine a turkey for Thanksgiving, you know, there are going to be a hundred different places or who knows how many more that you can go to get a recipe. But I always come back to allrecipes.com because it just seems to be simple. The way they have their instructions laid out, just the way they handle their ingredients, and it seems like the ingredients that they choose are ones that we often have or else can find pretty easily is not super complicated. So that would be a place I would recommend for people to go online if they want to find a recipe that usually will work for them 
I would say 99% of the time. And for a favorite recipe, I'm not sure if this is the name of it exactly or not, James, you can help me out, but I think it's Red Lobster Biscuits, which you introduced me to once upon a time. Yes, I think I remember that. Those are about my favorite biscuits, I think. And so I am going to drop that recipe into the show notes, too, for people to give that a try. Yeah, I would be interested for any of the listeners to to send us maybe some of their favorite recipes that they think we would enjoy. Um, also, if and we've talked about some strange foods as well, if anybody has eaten anything that we haven't mentioned on the podcast, it'd be fascinating to hear some of those some of those different things that you've maybe eaten. You know, I've never eaten any insects. I don't know if anybody has any any stories about that and and what that was like to share with us. Well, that should wrap it up for this time. Again, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the conversation. We're still happy to see that the audience is growing. We appreciate those of you who've told us that you're sharing the podcast, and we've even seen a few reviews on uh, some of the podcast sites like iTunes and other places. Thank you for your kind words, and thank you for your criticisms. We're trying to learn as we go. Like James said, please send your your stories about your favorite dishes or favorite recipes. Also, any feedback that you would like us to hear, you can send that to lookingoverlife at gmail.com. All right. See you later. Ciao.